You're listening to Out Here, a podcast about building a life, a community, and relationships at the end of the road in McCarthy, Alaska. I'm Erin McKinstry. On episode six, making community. Mail Day is an event. Year-round, two days a week, a plane flies to a tiny shack at the airport. In the summer, sometimes it's more like four. Dedicated sorters divide the mail among 80-plus mailboxes and line up cardboard boxes, mostly Amazon Prime boxes, in alphabetical order on a table. Once they start unloading, it's a bit of a frenzy. The town of Glen Allen, which is like 150 miles away, whatever, the mail goes there, and then Mondays and Thursdays, the mail plane flies it in. This is a few things this means. One, when you give a person your address, you know, like, oh, hey, I want to send you, what, what's your address? I'm like, oh, my name is Greg Runyon, P.O. Box, MXY. And they're like, what? I'm like, it's okay, Mary X-ray yellow, MXY. <laughs> Next line, McCarthy number. They're like, what? I'm like, it's okay, McCarthy number, 62B. Okay. Glen Allen. I thought you lived in McCarthy. Yeah, it's okay. Glen Allen, Alaska, 99588. And they're like, well, what? I'm like, look, all the mail is going to go to the Glen Allen Post Office. P.O. Box MXY is the box for the entire town of McCarthy. 62B is my own little box within that group. So that helps the people sort stuff, right? Oh, okay. Sweet. Done. Wait outside for us because we're going to get moving here pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah, the mail <laughs> Then you order your things off Amazon Prime or whatever, and you're, like, excited to get them. It's shipped on Tuesday. Okay. Delivered to Glen Allen on Friday. You're like, sweet, they'll make the Monday mail plane. I'm ready. Now, it's an hour drive from our house to the mail shack to meet the mail plane to get the mail. But the nice thing is the new people who run the mail plane, who are doing a phenomenal job, they send out texts when they're going to fly or not fly. Oh, ding. 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, foggy and go, can I can't fly. You're like, okay. We're going to try to get at noon. So you wait all day because you want to go get this package. Ding, couldn't fly. I'll try again tomorrow. So you're like, oh. Next day, you're up. You're, you're eating your coffee. You're waiting for the ding. You know, are we coming or are we not coming? Ding. Not going to do it. Really? Again? Damn. Okay. It's nice here, but it's foggy there. Too cold. Who knows? And you got these ding, ding, dings. And then finally, the mail plane. Oh, they came. All right, sweet. So you zip into town and you get your mail and you're really excited. And you put your Netflix movies back in the bag. You know, you're like, well, you know, Turnaround time, three weeks. <laughs> By the time they, the mail plane finally comes and gets them someday. The, these are the traumas of living in the wilderness today in the modern world. Yeah, Slow Netflix delivery and terrible Amazon Prime. So bad, so bad. On episode six, Making Community. We are uh, a far-flung, loosely dispersed bunch of people, um, but I but think it qualifies as a community. I think it qualifies as a community. Yeah, I mean, whether we like it or not. <laughs> we sort each other's mail trust each other with it. Mail Day binds us. Former Ghost Town binds us. The challenges of life out here bind us. And here we all are, and you know, we're all doing our own little ways. We're all in different stages of development. Some of us are much more skilled at it. Some of us are new to it. Some of us don't care. We're happy to have a teepee in the woods. That's fine. Some of us want to build an amazing modern house with flush toilets and in-floor heating. 
And it's all really cool when we all kind of get together and share parties, share dinners, share birthdays, share Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, share snow machine expeditions. Um, it's really magical like that. But we're far from traditional. We don't have any schools. We don't have garbage pickup. We don't have a lot of these things, especially in the wintertime. There's only a finite amount of land here for sale. So we give it the word community, but in reality, it's, it's this little island of privately owned land surrounded by 13.5 million acres of a national park. Okay, it's actually 13.2 million acres, just to be perfectly accurate. Anyway, after the landscape bit me, then came the community. And first, I looked at it kind of like a utopia. This place that almost everyone had chosen in the middle of the wilderness with no local governance, no property taxes, no violence, no crime. It was like the intentional communities that people had been trying and failing at forever. And this time, it had worked. There's freedom, self-regulation, a diversity of ideas, a respect for the natural world, a duty to help your neighbor, and a sense of openness. Even after trauma. Here's Mark Vale. The McCarthy massacre happened while I was working on the North Slope, saving money so I could build my cabin out here. And when it happened, my friends are like, you don't really want to live there. I'm like, yeah, what are the chances of, you know, ever happening there again? If you remember, that was when a man who'd been living in the area for about eight months shot six people in the early 80s. It rocked the town. I remember going back to the city at the end of that first summer and they're like, well, did they treat you strangely? Because you're going into this community that just had this massive traumatic incident happen where a third of the town was killed by a crazed gunman. And the fact was, it's like the people that were here were glad to see me because it was a sign that life goes on. As time has passed, I have realized that this place is not a utopia. The murders are definitely one example of that, but there are plenty of others. Also, the fact that it's pretty much just white people means the community is missing the richness and benefits of diversity. And everyone doesn't always behave. People do get too drunk and out of hand, although crime is incredibly rare. Here's Greg Runyon. I really don't like violence in McCarthy. We've had a little bit of it occasionally over the time, and I think all of us need to take a step back, and this is not the place for violence. It's not the place for assaulting people or making people feel uncomfortable. Everyone has to be cool here. You have to leave all that shit behind because it's, it's kind of like living on the moon. You know, like you're in our own little community out here. Like there's no one else to help us. It's just us. We all got to get along. Or, yeah, it'd be really bad. Throw you off the Cuscalana, I guess. People argue. It can be hard to get things accomplished. And there's certainly a fierce rumor mill. Also, that rugged individualism means occasionally someone doesn't take care of themselves or their property or the natural world around them, and it falls on their neighbors to intervene. Openness has its limits. Here's Allie Towers. I like to view McCarthy as a kind of a sentient being, actually. And I'm like, well, if McCarthy wants you here, you'll know. Like, you will feel the magic and all of these possibilities and opportunities will open up to you. I mean, it has a lot to do with your mindset and how flexible you are and everything. But then there's some people that they just come here and they just can't handle it. Like they're faced with their own ego. There's no distractions really from what's going on. You are all up in it. And McCarthy, 
sometimes she she gnaws on them a little bit and spits them out and they're like i'm out of here and that's great <laughs> like i'm glad that this place isn't for everybody the community lives in flux it swells in the summer and dwindles in the winter which means basic questions like how many people live here don't really fit it's like a couple hundred at its highest peak in the summer and in the winter it's like maybe 20 30 40 50 well what part of the winter do you mean and how big of a radius are you drawing around McCarthy to consider like people that live in McCarthy, you know? Who lives here? Also a good question. Pretty much everyone is a transplant. There are exceptions. There's more single men than single women. And people come from all over the country and some other countries as well. But the defining stops there. So let's start there. Part one. The McCarthy community is... I always say it's an intense place to live. It can be intensely wonderful in any number of ways. And for us, over the years, more than once, it has been intensely frustrating, annoying, maddening. It's intense naturally, seasonally. It's intense because there's tons of people here doing all super 24-7 busy in the summer. It's intense in a different way in the winter when it's dark and cold and... We're bound together by common experiences and that's what I think what kind of makes this place a community. There are specific events that have occurred over time in this place that have affected every single person that has been here. Some very intense experiences. Some of them good, some of them extremely bad. We've had calamities out here happen, whether it be the murders, whether people's houses have burned down and things. And yes, people rally up, rally up. People you wouldn't choose as your friends anywhere else become your friends here because they're the people you see. They're the ones you see at mail day or at bonfires or at people's dinner parties or whatever. It's a place because it's semi-affordable that has allowed a bunch of us to buy land here and produce a, a self-reliant lifestyle. And we also have this other group of people here that sometimes I think get forgotten by some of us, like all these people who have vacation homes out here, vacation land out here, or maybe we're out here back when they were younger, have moved on, but they still maintain a place here they come back to. And So you'll find that people in this community do more, travel more, they come from all walks of life, and you don't know where you're gonna find one of them tomorrow. It's a very transient community too. People are coming in and out all the time. So, I mean, the term like locals, like who knows what that means, I think, because people have to leave all the time to make a living. There's a, an economic system that goes with the community that is richest during the summer and direst in January right now. There's right? like someone who's like taking pictures or a documentary maybe someone was making there like describing the McCarthy community as diverse but there was like all these just pictures of white people and we are like very homogeneous in some ways but at the same time there's a lot of different opinions and people who live here are very quirky. When you live in town you can choose your friends from your small little pool of people that are like you. Well you can't do that here because really nobody's just like you. <laughs> so um, you do business with them and interface with them and be friends and, uh, um, you know, be, be kind of, in a sense, de dependent on each other for daily life. 
but in another sense, there's, there's of course, a very strong sense of independence. There's no social services here. There's no health care here. There's no plug and play here. It's the kind of community you can call people out when, you know, they're not doing something right because it does affect us in such a big way. Don't throw your trash here. Don't, you know, don't do this. You can't just be building fires everywhere you want when it's high fire danger, you know? We don't care what you do on your individual level. That's between you and your maker. Unless you're impinging on someone else's space or rights. You know, if you're making noise to where the neighbor can't sleep, they're going to shoot your generator, <laughs> you know, or pour sugar in the gas tank or whatever. So I would say it's more close-knit. People are less selfish, I think, and more willing to help others in need if, if the needs arise. We've picked up our neighbors' groceries in Anchorage. We've given our neighbors a ride to the airport. We've fixed their cars. They've fixed our cars. They've helped us out. When I moved out of the city, the last thing I expected was that I would be intimately knowledgeable of all the people in my community. If I got in a situation that I didn't feel safe, whether it was because there was an animal hanging around here or if it was a person I felt uncomfortable around, I know people would help me. We take care of each other out here. It's nice. Part two, governance, McCarthy style. There's sometimes disagreement about how things should be done in the community or, you know, like you got the MAC, McCarthy Area Council, which some people don't even like the idea of its very existence, you know, and, and it's kind of like anti-government in any, in any form. So obviously this place falls under federal and state law. There is no escaping that. But it's looser out here. The state troopers are four hours away. There is no borough or municipal governments, no one to make city ordinances or regulations or to bring in infrastructure. The Department of Transportation maintains the road, sometimes. The National Park Service maintains and regulates their land, and the federal government subsidizes mail service twice a week. And that's it. Otherwise, it falls on private individuals. Mostly, people just fix things themselves. There's a tree in the road. Someone who passes by cuts it up. When people break unspoken norms, like cutting firewood or trapping in a place that's already been claimed, someone in the community tells them, and they usually listen. But especially as the summers have gotten busier, there are times when things don't get fixed. And then we talk about it as a community, in a formal way. That's what the McCarthy Area Council, or MAC, is for. Mark Vail's the president. We were starting to realize that our community was located inside the largest national park. And being in that park, it was going to have impacts from outside interest. And when I moved here, everybody was individually doing their own thing. But on the whole, the visitation was a different story because no individual business was responsible for every visitor because every visitor didn't go to any one point in town. 
but they still had to find some place to go to the bathroom. They wanted to know where to get drinking water. You know, so we had a town meeting, I think it was in December of like 1990 or something. And, and we decided to have an organization to at least have some place to have a forum to discuss issues as they arose. The organization was a voice that could react to outside entities. Like the National Park Service, the Department of Transportation, the Forest Service, and the state. They've served as a liaison for road maintenance projects, for example. Or like right now, the park has been working on a new wilderness management plan that could restrict activities in the park and affect residents. MAC meetings are where they presented that plan to the community, responded to comments, and eventually decided to go back to the drawing board. MAC is now a nonprofit. They get some money from the state, some from donations, some from dues. Voting members pay five bucks a year and can present proposals to be funded. The only stipulation is that they maintain a residence in the area. So, six months out of the year, 10 to 20 people show up at meetings and vote on whatever people bring to the table. There's lots of discussion, lots of ideas that never come to fruition, but sometimes problems do get solved. It's most like grassroots government I've ever seen in my life. Like people just raise their hand to vote. It's pretty cool. Every one of these people in this room is thinking for themselves how they're going to do it, how they're going to get their own trash out of here, how they're going to get their own cars in here, how they're going to get their own gas, how they're going to do everything on their own. And as the organization has grown and summer residency has increased, it's started to address internal issues, too. They've discussed what they want to preserve long-term for the community, like access to safe drinking water or the ability for kids to play in the streets without getting run over. And they've also helped fund all kinds of projects, like road improvements for a private subdivision or helping another nonprofit buy a building or pitching in for community yoga mats. Tamara Harper is the secretary and treasurer of MAC. I like the idea of people working together for the betterment of the common good. I'm a common good sort of person. And a lot of people that live in rural Alaska are not common good people. And I understand that. And we certainly have people in this town that aren't interested in working together with a larger group on community projects. And that's fine. I do think that's really important. And I do think we are a community. And so I've done what I can to help facilitate those sorts of common good projects. MAC is like a bad word for some people. Just the idea of a formal organization makes them cringe, and I've heard plenty question the way they spend their money. They argue that we're not a community, and so individuals should take care of their own problems. We have positions that some people think are powerful. I I personally don't think they're any more powerful than anyone coming to a meeting and stating their personal positions. The membership encompasses a lot of different facets of the community, politically, seasonally, environmentally, economically, um, and they act as a fiscal agent for the EMS as well, which provides very limited medical services and supplies for the community. And they do a lot of other stuff, like helping facilitate the eradication of a family of beavers that was threatening the cleanliness of the town's source of drinking water, or like this. Here is a sampling of my favorite meeting minutes in recent years. June 30th, 2016. A new metal-sided outhouse is in place, replacing the old one that was destroyed by porcupines. 
July 27th, 2017, motion was made to request in these minutes that locals remove their plastic toys from the swimming hole when they are not being used. April 30th, 2015. Discussion informed the membership about an excavator parked near the Nizina River that is leaking various fluids into a clearwater salmon stream used by locals for drinking water. Yikes. May 28th, 2015. New mailboxes are in short supply. Anyone willing to share half their box for newcomers? Who's in charge of mailboxes now? Nobody seems to know. Volunteers? August 28th, 2014. A member talked about his idea of constructing a community fish wheel in the future. Also mentioned the ideas of creating an art gallery, a community radio station, and how we might continue the Wrangell St. Elias newspaper. Could all these entities be contained in one building? Okay, there's no fish wheel yet or any of those other things, actually, um, because what they do tackle is still pretty limited. And a lot of people want to keep it that way. Here's Kristen Link. If you go to the MAC meetings in the summer and people will talk a little bit like, oh, you know, it'd be nice if we had this service. And then, you know, that leads to like, then you have to have a real government and you have to become incorporated or become a borough and then you have to pay taxes I think it's really special right now that we can operate in a zone where we get together and decide what we want to make happen. And, you know, maybe it's not, everyone's not involved in that process. It's kind of your choice whether you want to be or not. Part three, law and order. One time I was mushing my dogs down the road and a snow machine came around the corner going so fast he couldn't stop until he got right next to my sled. And he had to squeeze between the berm and my side of the road. And he pulled up to a stop and he was completely chagrined because he knew that had my dogs blinked and moved out of the way, he would have wiped out my dog team. He stopped and he swallowed and he goes, how's it going? And I looked at him, I said, too fast. And he nodded and drove away much slower. And the next time I saw him, I was coming out my trail and I heard the snow machine ripping down the road, coming, got to the corner just before my mailbox and slowed down, came around the corner, putt, 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 putt. And, and went past my driveway and looked up the hill and saw me and gave me a thumbs up. Like He remembered that Mark still drives dogs and he has just as much right to be on the road as you do with the snow machine. And so he curbed his behavior because of an incident that happened between us. And there was no bad words, no bad feelings, just this intimate knowledge of each other respecting our boundaries. And, and moving forward. There's a Wild West mentality here. Like, we can take care of our own. We don't need someone coming in with laws and fines and police cars. Here's Alley Towers. Let's say someone's dog is misbehaving. No one's afraid to be like, hey, 
don't do that dog, you know, like yell at someone else's dog. Basically, it's like the whole town is helping raise this dog. Um, just little things like that, as even up to the big things like that summer when Neil's life was threatened and the community came together and bound the guy and <laughs> waited for the troopers to show up. Yes, that story is now legendary. A seasonal employee lost it on his employer, and by the time the state troopers showed up, the community had already zip-tied him to a tree and was just waiting for the guy to be hauled out. The thing about it now is there's no crutch. You can't be like, well, I can do whatever I want. If it's a problem, they'll send the, the, the sheriff over to deal with me or the whatever, the constable. Here, it's like, no, we kind of are going to gurn you ourselves. Like, if you're going to push that boundary and become a, an ass or endanger us, we, we give people a lot of free rides here. But, like, I think it's just been peer pressure that's kept people out here realizing, like, what we have and don't be the one to spoil that. Don't be that person. There's instances of people passing through and stealing things or trying to. Like, I remember a night when two visitors tried to steal a friend's truck. And everyone, like, got on their four-wheeler and chased after them. And these dudes had ditched the car at the footbridge and probably were hiding in the bushes or something. But not everybody is completely on board with the Wild West characterization. Because sometimes you got to bring in some backup. Enter Stephen Harper, the one and only law enforcement ranger in the valley, as I voice this. He works for the park, and he can be deputized in an emergency. In general, his job is to enforce hunting and fishing regulations, head up search and rescue, respond in emergencies, normal park ranger stuff. But sometimes it's a whole lot more unique. Some people describe McCarthy in the summer as like summer camp. (laughs) It's summer camp for 20 and 30-year-olds that are here for the summer making money, having a good time the sun is up all the time in june people are just revved up and they're partying and they're having a ball but like every summer camp there's got to be a camp counselor and i've had more than one person say to me you're the camp counselor for the mccarthy summer camp And that is not something that bark rangers typically have to deal with. (laughs) And uh, as long as the counseling part works, (laughs) I'm fine with all the talking that requires and the personal one-on-one time that being a camp counselor requires. But it's when all of that counseling doesn't work and you have to take it to the next step of kicking the kid out of camp. That's the part that ain't too much fun, but that's what I signed up to do. Stevens first came to McCarthy in 1999 from Western Alaska, and he wasn't initially seeking a law enforcement position. Um, He was actually seeking community. Alaska's a hard place to remain um, unless you can put down roots, unless you unless you A, fall in love with the place, and B, figure out how to make it work. Alaska is not an easy place to make a lot of things work. And, and I knew that I needed to be amongst other people and, and, cre- and create a scenario for myself where I actually had a community. And that was something that I knew I needed to do for my own mental health and, and to ground myself in the place that I loved, which is Alaska. Otherwise, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to hold on to Alaska. I was going to end up having to leave. Um, 
Four years later, when he signed up for the first law enforcement ranger position in the area, he knew it wasn't going to be easy. If I was going to take this job and live here and do what I do, I'm going to have to tell people no sometimes. And it's not just the anonymous person that I'm never going to see again. It might be one of my best friends. Like, I'm sorry, man, but you're in a national park and you can't do that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I told you I'm sorry, but you can't do that. Because even though McCarthy is surrounded by a national park, by preservation and regulation, people have owned private land out here since at least the mining days. And that comes with its own set of challenges. I could do a whole podcast about the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, better known as ANILCA. But what matters here is that in December 1980, Jimmy Carter converted 44 million acres of Alaska into parkland, including the land in what is now Wrangell-St. Elias National Park. Suddenly, land that people had been using as they saw fit was regulated. The act and an earlier use of the Antiquities Act sparked protests and petitions. People were worried about a loss of subsistence rights, primarily. And so certain subsistence rights were granted, although still regulated, like hunting and fishing and collecting firewood, and access to private property was guaranteed as well. In his position, Stevens has had to navigate that space between private and public interests. Like when a family called the Pilgrims built a road through parkland here. They said it was their right to access their property, and the park said it wasn't. And that was a particularly trying time for him. People have also ignored park regulations not to remove objects that date back to the mining days, like a pool table and all kinds of other things. Also, stuff like the excavator leaking into the Clearwater Salmon Stream. A lot of people really don't like rules here, and they really just want to be able to do whatever they want. And Stevens has had to have people forcibly removed from the community, situations that just wouldn't really arise if it was just a national park and there was no community here. I love that the community is very tolerant of different ways of living and thinking. In general, the people that live here give one another the respect and the freedom to enjoy this place in the way that they want to enjoy it. As long as it doesn't infringe upon their safety or ability to also enjoy the place. And and, and that's the double-edged sword. People Sometimes, you know, and I'm coming at this from the perspective of the primary law enforcement officer in this community. You know, I'm a, I'm a park ranger. And in general, that doesn't include enforcing laws in your front yard on private property. But that does occur. The troopers are very long ways away. And when, when the poop hits the fan and somebody's life is in danger... I'm the one that gets called. And so that's the boundary of the freedom. That stress has gotten to him. He's thought about leaving. But when he's looked elsewhere, he's realized it's kind of like the grass is always greener. This place is still full of freedom. It's really, really beautiful. And most of the time, the community does take care of itself. Here's my partner, Ian Giori. The only time there's ever really issues with that, I think are in the summer when, you know, it's not necessarily members of the community that are behaving badly. Um, seasonal workers and stuff and people, you know, there's people that bring their own problems to a place like this. And 
So the town, you know, sometimes the state troopers get called and they do come in and they deal with it. Um, other times the town will just sort of tell somebody they need to get out, like they're not welcome here anymore, and that works. And and then other times when, you know, it's just like community members step in, we do know how to talk to each other. and um, Somebody might be a loose cannon, but there's no reason to be afraid of them. You, you, you talk to them or you find somebody that has a personal connection with that person and just try to address whatever the issue might be and it works out you've been listening to out here a podcast about life at the end of the road in mccarthy You can find all the episodes, pictures, and episode notes at www.outherepodcast.com. On the next and final episode, we'll take a step back and take a look at the journey. Where did we come from, and where are we going, and what's next? And oh yeah, that weird reality television show about this place, did that change anything? Originally, it wasn't going to be what it became. It was going to be like a quasi-documentary about living in a bush community, but then it became this other thing, kind of kind of ridiculous shenanigans. Thanks to Galen Huckins and Blue Dot Sessions for the music, to Ian Giori for the artwork, to Scott Swafford and the University of Missouri Masters Committee for the support, and to the Duffy Fund for financial assistance. For Out Here, I'm Erin McKinstry. <laughs>